0: How many would like the Lord to encounter you this morning by his word? All right, lift the other hand as well. Let's ask him. Father, we have come here not to play but to encounter you, to hear your words spoken by your spirit. We pray that you would encounter us with your word, that you would plant seeds of eternity inside of us that will never leave us, but that will produce fruit for your kingdom and for your glory. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I know something about most of you here this morning. When I hear you pray, just from knowing you over the years, a lot of you, you have the same longing, burning, and hurting inside of your gut that I do for all that God has for you and for all that God has for this place. I see that in you, I hear that in you, I see it in your eyes. I hear it when you worship. This is something that I've learned over the years. Spiritual hunger hurts. Real hunger hurts. It burns inside of your gut. When I was younger, I would try to medicate it by entertainment or some kind of diversion. And the Lord showed me, don't don't do that. Actually, that hunger is working inside of you and drawing you to myself. Take it into my presence. Let out the groan, let out the cry, let out the longing that's inside of you. Because in every one of God's children, there's a longing, there's a cry inside of you that cries, Abba, Father, you're my Father and my identity is that I belong to you and you belong to me. There's that cry inside of us and we want more. We want everything that the Lord has for us. That cry is inside of you. It can be covered over, it can be papered over, it can be distracted and medicated but you can't get rid of it as long as you're a child of the Father. There's that longing inside of you to become everything that Jesus has made you for, to to take hold of everything that he purchased when he died on the cross and rose again. That cries inside of you, that hunger's in you if you belong to him. It's in me. It's in me personally. Can I testify? There's so many things in my life that I haven't achieved yet that I haven't taken hold of that Christ purchased for me. There's so much knowledge of the Lord that I don't have in my life yet. When I look at a sunset, do you ever do this? I look at a sunset or I look at the stars, and there's just a cry that rises up inside of my heart and says, God, I don't know you. I don't really know you. But I want to. Would you draw me into a deeper place with you? I need you. I want to call you today we've been talking about the church and the vision last few weeks I want I want to just hook up with that and I want to ask you I want to recruit you I want to call you to bring your hunger and let's hook together as a community and bring our hunger before the Lord so that he may come and fulfill everything that he has in his heart for us I have a lot of territory to take in my own personal life I've been walking with Jesus for 43 years And in some ways, I feel like an infant. Is that okay to say that? In our church, there's some beautiful things that are happening in the lives of people, but there's so much that the Lord wants to pour out on us, and he wants us to take hold of, and he wants us to connect our hunger, the hunger, that cry, that God cry. That's what John Lake called the God cry that's inside of us. He wants us to connect that with himself. And as a community, when we connect it to each other and connect it to him, good things always happen. We got a prophetic word one time from our midwife. We had all seven of our kids in the same birthing center. And so we did home births with a midwife. When our first son was getting ready to be born, we were excited. He was 10 days late. That's not right on your first child it's just not right. So midwife told us, look, you guys need to go out, go to Disney World. This is really what she said. You go to Disney World tomorrow, and you walk all day long. I want you to walk, 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 walk. So we did that, and contractions started happening at some point. We called her up. I called her. Diane's in the background. She's having some contractions, and I got her on the phone. I said, Charlene, I think, I think we're going into labor. There's contractions that are happening. And Diane was in the background, and she was excited, and she's kind of laughing a little bit, giggling a little bit. And she said, is that Diane in the background? I said, yeah, it is. She goes, she's not in labor. <laughs> Here, here's the prophetic word. Here's the prophetic word, and this, this is true spiritually. She said, as long as it's still fun, you're not ready to have a baby. So let the spiritual hunger hurt and long. We're trying to follow Jesus for all that he has for us in this body, but can I just say, with a full and loving heart, we are a long ways away. We're not the Green Beret here. We don't have everything together. We're trying to connect to the Lord. We're trying to get in a place where he can have his way and do everything that he wants to do. And so my job, as I see it this morning, is to try to help recruit as many of you as possible to join your hunger together with us and go before the Lord and cry out and let that hunger be like a it, res, let it resonate and be make a crescendo before heaven. God, our cry is for you. We want you. We want you to manifest yourself in greater ways in our midst. We want you to come as the disciple, or We want you to come as the healer. We want you to come as the baptizer in the spirit. We want you to come in all of your fullness and everything that you've done and manifest yourself in power to every person and show yourself glorious. We want you to be the center, the burning, flaming center of everything that we do and pursue. Come in our midst. Will you join your hunger with mine? Can we join together and let it become like a crescendo before the Lord? And so the title of what I want to speak about tonight is getting to where we all want to go. We all want to go there. Personally, and I believe corporately as a body, we all want to go there. So Ephesians chapter 2, if you'll turn there with me, I want to start with this text. You know I'm always going to have every message laced with scriptures. Ephesians 2. I'm going to just look at the picture that the Father paints for what his desire for this body and everybody is, every church body. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 19 to 22. I just want to make a few observations and then move on to the next text, but Ephesians 2 verse 19. "So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole building being fitted together. A lot of talk about being fitted together with puzzle pieces and stuff in the last couple weeks. Is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you are also being built up together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Let me point out just a couple of things from this text. First, in verse 21, the word temple. There's two words for temple in the Greek language. One means the whole temple, buildings, complex, and everything. The other one means the inner sanctuary where God's presence dwells. That's what this word is here. We're being we're growing into a holy sanctuary where the very presence of God dwells. And then in verse 22, notice the word dwelling, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in or by the Spirit would probably be a better translation. By the Spirit, we're being built into a dwelling of God. The idea behind this word dwelling is that it means A permanent dwelling. This is not just a visitation. This is not an Airbnb. The church is not an Airbnb for God. We're building it into a permanent dwelling place where God can make his home. This is Kenneth Wiese's translation of verse 22. In whom also you are being built together into a permanent dwelling place of God by the Spirit. The third point I want to make is just that phrase it's by the Spirit. Good ideas won't get us there. Wisdom of man won't get us there. It has to be the working of the Holy Spirit in us, in our midst, in us individually. So the question is how do we best partner with the Holy Spirit to become this habitation? Can I say that the goal is not revival? The goal is not revival. The goal is habitation, the goal is permanent dwelling. So this is how I look at it. I've been a student of revival history, and I, I love it. I love revival history. teach two classes on it in the school. I, I love seeing how God moved in different times, in different places. To me, it's fascinating to see the people that he used, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But this is one thing that I've noticed about revival, is that there seems to be a divine timing a lot of times. Where, like on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost, chapter 2, verse 1 of Acts, had fully come or had been fulfilled, then the Holy Spirit came like a mighty rushing wind. God told them to go into Jerusalem and and what? And wait! Wait! Why? Because there was a specific timing that he was going to pour out the Holy Spirit. Prophetic significance, obviously, but there was a timing. Revival very often comes in seasons and in waves, and it seems to me, at least, looking at it, that there's a sovereign element in that that brings it. It's not man-made. I know we can partner with it. That's what we're going to talk about today. I believe in that, totally. I don't think we just sit around twiddling our thumbs going, Oh, God, if you want to send revival, send it. Heaven goes... We need to be building ourselves into a habitation where God can dwell. And then we're ready when His timing is ready. So in the healing revival, just for example, okay, there's a window there that's amazing to me of how God started moving in the lives of individuals that He was calling into heal ministry. 1945, Jack Coe, you guys may have heard some of these names. That's when the first notable miracle started happening in His ministry. 1946, William Branham, one of the great healing ministries of all time. That's when he had an angelic visitation and healing began to happen in a notable way in his ministry. 1947, Catherine Coleman, anyone ever heard of her? Catherine Coleman, three million healings under her ministry. Three million. That began in 1947. Oral Roberts, guess what year? First miracle happened in his ministry. 1947. 1947. There's a window there where God began to breathe. He was stirring in the hearts of people. He was stirring hunger in their hearts, like Azusa Street when that revival came in 1906. There was hunger that was stirring. God knew what he was going to do. There was a timing when he was going to release it, and he began to stir in the hearts of people for them to respond to him, and prayer was happening on an incredible level. So you get guys like Frank Bartleman Who's talking about agonizing, interceding, fasting until his wife thought he was going to die. She was afraid he was going to die. He was not sleeping. He's groaning all night long beside the bed. He's fasting and not eating. He's crying out constantly to the Lord. Alfred Garr, another guy during that same thing. His same kind of thing. There was a stirring in the heart. Can I tell you, you can't make that happen. But you can receive it. When the Lord's breathing. Here's what we need to be. The habitation. So I look at it this way. Revival is kind of like the tornado. The habitation is like the hurricane. The hurricane spawns the tornadoes. They're contained within it. But as far as the exact timing of it, we can't go, next year we're going to have revival. If we pray enough, this is going to happen. But we can be a place that's ready for it. We can create an atmosphere that's conducive for God to do whatever he wants to do. Raising seven children to me has been a profound experience for me personally and theologically. (laughs) Personally, I've learned how weak I am and how incapable I am, which is a terrible thing for me because I've been psychoanalyzed a lot lately. So the most recent one is my kids. (laughs) And they come up with this Enneagram. You ever heard that? If you've heard of Enneagram, raise your hand. Okay, that's most of the younger. So basically it's a test that you take online, right? And it identifies there's what, 10? Is there 10 types? There's nine types, okay. So they're, they're coming in the other night, and I'm sitting at the table, and they're going, what do you think dad is? What number do you think dad is? What did, what's, what's dad? And they're like, oh, dad's definitely a number five. He's, he's definitely a number five. I go, okay, I'm a number five. What's a number five? So, so here's what number five, the basic desire. So a lot of details here, but th- this is actually spot on. Your kids know you. And my wife was nodding too. Oh, yeah, honey, that's you. <laughs> basic desire of a number five is to be capable and competent. I would say that's true about me. I want to I feel capable and competent. And so the Lord says, watch this. I'm going to give you seven kids. Watch this, here I am, the introvert, who as a kid, I would go out by myself when I'm 10 years old and instead of playing ball with the kids, although I did that sometimes, but my favorite thing to do was I would just go out and find a secluded place and lay on the grass and look at the clouds for two hours. The Lord says, look, I'm gonna give you a business where you're talking to 50 people a day, your phone never stops texting, email never stops, and seven children to raise. I'm like, you're totally blowing up my personality type. Like, <laughs> I'm not capable. I'm incompetent to do this. I didn't have a father who was a spiritual leader or even a believer. My wife's family was a train wreck. Bitter, horrible divorce. Her mom worked two and three jobs trying to keep food on the table for them her whole life. We did not have a good model for a Christian family. And so when we started having children and the Lord dealt with us, I want you to have a large family, I was like, it was a huge wrestle for me, except I knew the Lord said to do it. I was like, Lord, I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. And my prayer over and over again a thousand times before the Lord is, God, what am I doing? I don't know what to do. I tell my wife, I don't know what to do. How do I raise kids to love Jesus? I don't even know what to do. And I just begin to cry out to the Lord. God, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm so incompetent, and this ruins my personality type. I hate that. That's the worst thing in the world for me. I, I don't know what I'm doing. Here's what the Lord spoke to me. God spoke to me. I don't have dreams every night, like some people I know. Jeremiah's had more dreams in one night than I have in my whole life. (laughs) But the Lord finally spoke to me. And this truth has shaped me in a lot of ways. Not only in our child raising, but also in church building. I believe the principle holds because I think it's in this passage. The Holy Spirit spoke this to me. When people ask me about child training, oh, you've raised seven kids, you're probably ready to write a book. No, after the second one, third one, we threw all of our notes in the fire and go, we don't know anything, we don't know what we're doing still. He spoke these this phrase to me and has marked me, it marked our parenting. The Lord said, If you will create an atmosphere in your home where the Holy Spirit is pleased to dwell, I will do in them what you can never do. We're like, it's all about the atmosphere. It's all about creating a place where the Holy Spirit has freedom to do whatever he wants and we're not grieving him constantly. So that he can come in because you know this when you have children, you can't reach down into their little hearts. You can't make Jesus known to them. You can put the word out there. You can pray with them, but only Jesus can win them to himself. And so what we need more than anything is to have an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit has freedom to do whatever He wants to do. And so our mission then, there's lots of adjustments that went on. That happens in our own life. It happens in churches too. It's happening now. We're praying into, seriously, Lord, what's the best way that we can create in this place an environment where you can come and have your way and do whatever you want? That's the thing. Where there's a habitation where God is pleased to dwell, He can drop tornadoes wherever He wants. He can do whatever he wants. That's what we're after. So then we had to do things like, okay, definitely our kids are not going to disrespect us in the house because that's rejecting the authority of God. Definitely our kids are not going to be fed on garbage on the TV or in some kind of entertainment. We're not going to feed them with stuff that dishonors the Lord. We had this thing in our home about honoring the Lord where our kids... I remember one time we're out in Walmart, and it's around Halloween time. And one of our sons, he'd gotten this drilled into his head so long you know, we measure everything by whether or not it honors the Lord. And he starts to see these witches masking all around, and he just stands there in Walmart. That doesn't honor. <laughs> no, you're right. That doesn't honor. If that's our metric, that's a good place to start. But there's always adjustments. So here's what we're going after. Let's create an atmosphere. You following where I'm going with this? Let's create an atmosphere in this place, in our home, but in this place, in a church. How do we do that? How do we develop an atmosphere? What kind of atmosphere do we need to create where God Almighty can literally come and do anything that he wants? I think there's a, there's a model, there's a paradigm of, of what this atmosphere looks like. It's, it's on the day of Pentecost it began. So look at Acts chapter 2 with me. Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read starting in verse 41 to 47. This is the atmosphere that immediately after the revival at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit's poured out, that the Holy Spirit began to build this into the community there were characteristics of the atmosphere that God wanted. That he wanted to build into that community so that he could come and dwell. We want the book of Acts revival, right? We want, we want to go back to the New Testament church. There's an atmosphere there that's created by the Holy Spirit. And they maintained and stewarded it. So let's look at it and see if we can gain any ideas. Verse 41 of Acts 2. So then those who had received his word, talking about Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost, were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves. Notice that. What would that connote? They're continually devoting themselves. Would you say that that was an atmosphere or a culture that they were creating in their midst? They were continually devoting themselves to what? I know this is a familiar passage, but try not to let the familiarity of it blind you to its power because we're going to talk about some things that maybe you didn't think about. All right. So then those who had received his word, verse 41, verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to four things. Okay, Let's look at these and let's, let's, let's think about them. The apostles' teaching, right? And to? Fellowship. And to? The breaking of bread. And to? Prayer. Okay, those four things. Can we just think about those four things for just a minute here? I'm going to say that we can divide those up into horizontal realities and vertical realities, okay? So the horizontal realities, I'm saying, are the things that mostly, I mean, there's overlap in them, but they mostly deal with individuals, with our own individual relationship with the Lord himself. This is part of the atmosphere. So what things, if you, if you had to pick out two and two, which things would you say would be the vertical realities that connect us personally to the Father? The apostles' teaching and prayer, okay? So the Word and prayer, right? This isn't rocket science. We get that. We emphasize that a lot. The Word of God and prayer. So we want to have an atmosphere where the Word of God is preached, understood, and obeyed, right? That's key. That's important. That is not... Um, optional at all. None of these things are optional. But that's at the foundation of the atmosphere that we're trying to create. It has to be built on the Word of God. We love spiritual gifts. We invite them all. We want them all. In fact, we're going to create, Derek's going to help us create here, prophetic teams for people that are prophetically gifted so that we can have more of a manifestation of prophetic gifting even in our midst. How's that sound? Are you good with that? Yeah, we, we want to try to facilitate every way that we can for God to come in and do what He wants to do, to create the atmosphere that He loves to come home to. So, the Word of God. I thank God. I mean, honestly, I thank God for, for some of the folks that the Lord has sent to this place. Um, my brother, David Ravenhill, um Randy. These guys are treasures that have walked with Jesus for a long time, ministered for decades, and they're a storehouse of the Word of God. Thank God for that diversity. I love people that when you touch them, the Word of God comes out. It's like a sponge. That's a beautiful thing. We want to keep cultivating that. We want to have venues where we can teach the Word of God more, where we can do more training to equipping the saints. So we're, we're praying into all this. So just get what I'm saying. We're praying into all this. This is important. We're not floundering here. We're trying to sharpen and hone the vision. We're asking you to connect your hunger with us to build the atmosphere here to where the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants. So you've got the vertical aspect. I, I think that probably those don't need to be as emphasized as much, not that they're not important, but I think we kind of understand the importance of the Word of God and prayer. I think involved with prayer as well would be um, spiritual gifts in that realm. I think worship would be in that realm. Uh, Verse 47 in this same passage, which I haven't finished yet, but I will. Praising God, having favor with all the people. Um, So I think that those would be involved maybe under the category of prayer. So let me finish reading this passage, and then let's go into talking about the, the horizontal priorities and try to put this together as a picture. Okay, 42 again. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. I think God was, had an environment where he could do what he wanted. Do you agree with me? All those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, verse 46, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and there was impact on the culture. The Lord was adding to their numbers daily, Day by day, those who were being saved. This is a good scenario. Would you agree that this was a good atmosphere that was happening here where the God had his way and he was doing what he wanted to do? Okay. Let's try to, to glean from these four things because my contention is that if this is what happened at the beginning when this Holy Spirit was poured out and these are the things that God injected by his Spirit into the community, that those are still valid today. If you agree with that, raise your hand. Okay. Okay we got two-thirds of you. Praise God. I believe that. So let's talk about, let me just go back to the prayer thing for just a minute. This is always a sticking point. In the book of Acts, if you read it through, there are multitudes of reference to them praying, seeking after the Lord. That was clearly part of their culture. That's not optional. We want to have a culture of prayer and of seeking after the Lord in this place. Obviously, it starts in our own personal life. We're trying to pray into how do we best do that. We've tried a few things here. If you guys are new here, we've tried a lot of things. We've done the house of prayer thing from KC, tried to wear their armor. We've done a whole bunch of things, and we've kind of gotten worn out a little bit. And, and I'm asking you, is that okay to be honest here? Yeah. Okay. Thank you, five of you. Praise God. I think some some of this, we tried to wear somebody else's armor. It's not the externals. We need a spirit of prayer. But would you pray with us that there would be a fresh breath of the spirit of prayer in this place? It takes the Holy Spirit to do this. There's a spirit of prayer and supplication that comes. The Holy Spirit sweeps in. We want to try to make venues where it's easier for people in the body overall. Look, we get that you're busy. We get that. Um, we want to make venues where everybody can connect on a corporate level and we can just cry out to God. I want us to have places where we can just let that ache inside come out together. It's okay if we all sat on the floor and just groaned before the Lord. That would really be okay. But we're, we're praying into how best to do that. We're, we're trying to figure this out. So here, here we are again. The one who wants to be competent and capable doesn't know what we're doing. Okay, So we're, we're trying to figure it out. Are you okay with this? Or do you want to have some hero that tells you everything's great and we know exactly what we're doing? We don't. We don't. We're trying to find God's heart so that he can have his way. Not so we can say we're the Green Beret and we pass out little Green Beret hats for everybody and go, Oh, we're part of the most spiritual church in the world. <laughs> we're not. Is that Okay. This, this is me. I'm just going to be honest with you because I don't know how to play. I don't know how to pretend with the Lord. I've never been a good pretender. Um, we're, we're wrestling through this and wanting to make this. And so we're asking for everybody's help to put your supply in because every member is important. And the ones that seem to be the least important, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, are the most important. I've asked multiple people in recent years. That scripture in 1 Corinthians 12 where it says the, the members which are least are actually the most important, I, I've asked people, have you ever been in a church or ministry where they acted like that was true? No, we're going to have a conference for the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists. And, but what about the ministry of helps? Now, they're, they help the apostle. I'm saying... Uh, come on, I'm saying, if Jesus really believes that, why don't we act like that's true? Where he said, you have the same care for one another instead of going, will you take a selfie with me? Come on. Sorry if this is too raw. I despise man worship in the house of God because it dishonors the Lord Jesus in his own house. Do you know what ministers are? Ministers are like a glove on a hand. It's the hand that makes them work. It's the grace of God inside of people that gives them the ability to minister and to convey life from Jesus. The glove itself is nothing Paul himself, as great as his ministry was, said, you guys in Corinth are so carnal. You guys are so focused on the flesh and of people, thinking they're the ones, they're the greatest. Paul goes, you know what? Apollos and me are, we're nothing. We're nothing. God is the one who gives the increase. God's not into the exaltation of ministries, I can tell you. So I have this picture in my head of people going around having a glove here and wanting to get a selfie with it. Where's, where's the Lord of the house? Sorry. You got a little bit of the something in my crawl there that continually <laughs> bothers me. Yeah. I have no patience for Jesus being dishonored in his own house. So prayer, prayer leaders in this house have done a great job, they really have. Sister Marie, Gospel and Luke, all the people involved in the House of Prayer, they've done an awesome job. We're trying to help to see how we can better connect everybody because truth, honestly, can I just tell you, like a very small percentage of our body connects with those ministries. And to me, this is not a beat down in any way. Okay, we're, just, we're trying to figure this out, okay? To me, we need we need a greater percentage of the body to be involved with this. It's, it, this is not optional ministry. But here's the here's the rub on the other side. Okay, is it okay just to talk to you this morning? Are you okay with that? To my knowledge, I have never met anyone who has developed a deep, consistent prayer life because of pressure, guilt, obligation, or sheer discipline. That's not sort of how they develop it. So. To stand up and go, come on, you guys, get up there, and pray. What are you doing watching TV or later? It never works. I can tell you when I was a brand new believer, I got the you need to pray and be a person of prayer. I believe that. It's in the Bible. But how you get there? So I went to the library. I got books by E.M. Bounds. I got all these prayer books. And I started reading all these books, which are awesome. They're inspirational and they're helpful. But as a new believer, I made this vow to God. God, I'm going to pray every day for at least two hours. And if I had had ears to hear, the voice from heaven would have said, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> it's going to be my willpower. I'm going to be the next Reese Howells, and I'm going to be the next whoever. Look, I'm not, I'm not mocking that. And I, those guys inspire me, and I read those books, and I have a whole shelf in my library of prayer books that's this long. So, I believe in them. Hear what I'm saying. But that's not what keeps somebody praying. That's not what draws them in. There has to be the breath of the Spirit. And really, the people that I know that have the deepest and the most consistent and beautiful prayer life are the ones who came into it because they were captivated by Jesus and His beauty. You don't have to force it when that's the case. So here's the question. How do we connect? How do we connect? I, I get the busyness. L- listen, just take a deep breath right now and go, he's, he's not beating us down. This is okay. okay. But here's the question. How do, we, how do we better connect? How do we make a prayer culture in a better way? We want to help facilitate that. We're figuring it out. Is that okay? We don't have it figured out. We're trying to see what best works and what the Holy Spirit is saying. At the end of the day... He, the house has to be built. The temple has to be built by the Holy Spirit. You agree with that? Otherwise, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. How many have labored in vain in ministry in your life? Oh my goodness! I've labored a lot in vain. I've worn myself out to exhaustion. Jesus praised the church in Ephesus because they had worked and toiled to exhaustion. But he wasn't praising me for like, that. I didn't tell you to do that. What are you doing? You're worn out because you didn't hear what I was saying. not tie into that. Okay. Moving on. Who wants to move on from this right now and not say one more word about it? Okay. Horizontal priorities. So, so the vertical priorities, obviously the word of God prayer the devotional life everything that surrounds that worship we we want that we we need that that environment has to be the air that we breathe that's where god's pleased to dwell but there's also two horizontal priorities and i want to talk about them for just a minute fellowship most of you probably know what the greek word for fellowship is say it out loud koinonia, koinonia. yes but listen koinonia is not just hanging out together It really isn't. You know what koinonia means? It really means to share. And in the New Testament, and in the book of Acts here, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, how did they share? Let's look at verse 44. All those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And began selling their property and possessions. And were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Do you know that is the explanation of what fellowship is in verse 42? You go, how do you know that? Because, forgive me for being this egg-headed whatever. But I, I looked up every time the Greek words used in the New Testament. One-third of those times the word koinonia is used, it's used for giving money sacrificially. One-third. By far the biggest category of koinonia. That is the explanation of koinonia in the book of Acts. They began selling their stuff. Look, this is a miracle. This is greater than signs and wonders. This is greater than the Red Sea being parted. Is when the human heart, the whole flow of the river, turns the other way and starts going backwards. Now, instead of attracting everything to myself and going, I'm afraid I need to have that or my security is in my stuff, the river turns the other way and goes, you know what? No, I'm going to give it. I'm going to release it. God has been so good to me. He's filled my life so much with his grace. The river's turned around and now there's an outflow. And I can't wait to give away my stuff. I know this is never talked about when we talk about returning to New Testament Christianity. And I'm not talking about being a commune or communism. I'm not talking about that. This was not coerced by anybody. This was an inner response to the spirit of the living God coming with his grace, going, hey, your stuff's not your own anymore. You know that? You're just a steward of it. So whatever I tell you to do with it, you're going to do it. And we live like this. There's such joy in release and living like that. I despise, I know some people, as soon as you talk about money, we're not talking about giving it to the church. We're talking about within the body itself for there to be a flow of money for needs to bless. I get that there's people who don't work, so they shouldn't eat, okay? Did I need to put that in there? I get that, and I think sometimes we can be more compassionate than God. Well, when he says, no, actually what you need is to be really good and hungry, and then you're going to get the, the message. I get No, I'm for real. We need to be prayerful about it. But look, there should be a default in our hearts that the money is flowing outward. We're giving and blessing. We should have a radar where we're looking for needs in our community where we can go up. You know what a Pentecostal handshake is? You put money right there. And you go shake somebody's hand, and you put it in their hand. That's a Pentecostal handshake. If you've never done that, you need to. Have you never had the experience in your life, for real, I want want to ask you this. Have you never had the experience in your life of the Lord putting something on your heart to give some money to somebody? And you obeyed him, and you gave that money, and immediately they started to bawl. Why? Because God sees, God knows, he heard my cry. Those kind of things inspire faith and connect people's hearts, not only to the Lord, but to you. Scripture bears that out. When we give, we give with strings attached in the kingdom, not that we're going to tell them what to do with the money, but heart strings. When we do that in the New Testament community, there's a connection of heart. That's borne out, we'll see that in 2 Corinthians chapter nine in just a second. I wanna look at some of these verses. I was like this is stuff we don't put together with this whole community thing. Can I tell you something? I know there's abuse in the body of Christ. I despise it. I heard of two guys, prophets, who were on the east coast of Florida a couple of weeks ago having meetings with mostly retired women Selling prayer cloths for $120 each. And then because it was ten nineteen on the date, having a special blessing and prayer service for them if they gave $1,019. And then if they really wanted to get blessed by the Lord in the heavenly realms, $5,000 and people were lined up to give them money. I despise that. That's the devil. And I fear for those people when they stand before Jesus because he does not like it. So hear my heart. I'm not talking about manipulation with money. I'm talking about within our own hearts there to be a free flow. Asking the Lord. You go, I don't have much money. That's the great thing about it. You don't have to, you don't have to have much at all. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, let me show you an example of this. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. 2 Corinthians 8.1. These are heroes of mine. Their top five of my Bible heroes are right here, and none of their names are given, but they're the churches in Macedonia. Now, brethren, this is 2 Corinthians 8.1. We wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. And you think right away, oh man, the Lord must have really blessed them. What kind of grace did they get? I bet you they were really blessed. Now he's going to explain what that grace looked like. That in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed. How does deep poverty overflow? Can you tell me? In the wealth of their liberality. So here we've got a situation where Paul's taking up an offering for the churches in Judea and Jerusalem that are under severe famine because of a drought. He's raising money for the believers there. And the Macedonians, he doesn't ask them because they're already under severe persecution and they're, they're broke. The Greek text there says it's down to the depths poverty. It's as low as you can get there. We say scraping the bottom of the bucket. They were underneath the bucket. And they heard, Paul, you're taking up an offering? And they're like, dude, what are you doing giving an offering to these people and you didn't ask us? He's like, you're poorer than they are. Let's read down. Verse 3. For I testify, Paul saying, that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor, that's the word grace, of participation, that's the word koinonia, in the support of the saints. They came to Paul going, you are going to let us give. You are going to let us give. He's going, you guys are so poor. You can't even scrape up enough money to give food. But they came to him begging for the grace to be able to koinonia their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem and Judea. Dude, this is koinonia. I don't have much money. Here's your heroes right here. Down to the depth of poverty. And yet, the overflow of joy and liberality. How does that work? That's a miracle of the kingdom. It glorifies Jesus and says, look, Jesus is the treasure. My stuff means nothing. It's okay. And I'm going to bless my brothers and sisters even if I can't put food on the table. You get that? That's where, that's where this is. That word cornonia is used in that verse 4 talking about their participation in the support of the saints. And then just flip over one page to chapter 9. Let's read verses 12 through 15. For the ministry, again, he's talking about the same offering that he's taken to Jerusalem. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. This isn't just meeting their needs, Paul says. There's a spiritual transaction happening here where these people that are receiving it from their brothers and sisters, they're like, thank you, God, you're so good, you're so faithful, you're amazing. There's a spiritual transaction that's happening. Verse 13, because of the proof given by this ministry, proof of what? They will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ. Did you see that? Their giving to their brothers and sisters was part of their obedience to the gospel. Come on, you guys. For real? And for the liberality of your contribution, the word is koinonia, to them and to all. Your koinonia, your fellowship Given to them. Your fellowship. Oh, brother, let's have the book of Acts revival. Yes, let's have the, the word of the Lord. Let's have prayer. Let's have fellowship. Really? Really? Can I tell you something? Fellowship is a lot less about church picnics and a lot more about sacrificial love. It's a lot less about eating hot dogs and talking about how bad the bucks are (laughs) than it is about sacrificial love. What did Jesus say in John 13, 34? A new commandment I give to you. What is it that you love one another even as I have loved you. By this will all men know that you're my disciples. Why? Because of the love that you have for each other. Can I, can I just say this and, and you not take it like an orphan? <laughs> but this is a legitimate question. Is there anybody in our lives that we are loving so thoroughly and so deeply that an unbeliever would look upon us and go, oh my God. There's something so amazing about that. Are you a follower of Jesus? Jesus isn't saying, the world will know if you're really nice people. They're really going to know that you're my followers. No. No. Every place that I've ever worked in my life, the nicest people there were not the believers but the unbelievers. I'm sorry to say that, but it's true. We're talking about creating an atmosphere where God can come and do what he wants to. Yeah, brother, can we throw out that one about fellowship? Let's just get rid of that one. I don't think we can. I don't think we can. You go, I don't have any money. Look, I'm not trying to manipulate or control anybody. I'm not asking for another offering. I'm not saying give it to the church. I'm just saying in your heart of hearts before the Lord Jesus Christ is the bent inside of you to get a radar scope of believers who your brothers and sisters around you and look at their life and see if there's need there and ask the Lord, what do I do? How much? It's usually not what do I do, but how much? First John three sixteen, by this we know and understand love. How? He laid down his life for us. We ought also to lay down our lives for each other. But, this is verse 17, if any one of you has this world's goods and sees his brother have a need and closes his heart of compassion against him, how does the love of God dwell in him? You see the connection with loving and money? It's all through the Bible, I'm telling you. Verse 18, little children, let us not love with word and with tongue. Oh, I love you, brother. I love you, I just love you, man. And the Lord saying, Let us not just love with word and with tongue, but in deed and in truth. That means there's action. How many want to skip by this point too? Let's, are you ready to go? Are you ready to move on and not talk about this anymore? This is the book of Acts revival. Is that okay? God's creating an atmosphere by his spirit. He didn't command it. The apostles didn't get up there and go, Now everybody, now that you're saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, let's see your bank account. Oh, you've got too much in there. You need to give it away. Nothing like that. There was a work inside of the heart that totally changed the direction of the river. And now there's an outflow where there used to be an inflow. That's a miracle. That's to the glory of Jesus. And he said, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. You know why Jesus wants your money? Two reasons. First, it's not yours, it's not yours. Secondly, your heart's connected to it, and he wants your heart, so he knows that love has a money trail. I haven't heard one amen today so far. I'm I'm jonesing for it at the end. Maybe I'm going to get one. Love has a money trail. This is part of the lordship of Jesus Christ over our lives. Did you you hear me? I'm not asking for money for myself or the church. Nothing like that. I'm just asking you to take your heart and your checkbook before the Lord and go, God, what about this? Am I really fellowshipping? Am I really part of the koinonia that's going on? Yeah, we're not talking about eating hot dogs together. We're talking about sacrificial love that changes lives. Can I tell you when Diane and I were first married and we were poor as could be? My first three years in business, here again, my capability was at an all-time low point. I thought, I can build this business. My mama always told me I could. And I found out mama lied, actually. (laughs) Mama actually lied. Uh, She was trying to be encouraging, but she actually lied to me. So I was trying to build a business, and... I stink at it, I'm no good at it. I'm working 60 hours a week for three years. My gross combined income for three years, not one year, was $17,000, working 60 hours a week. Mama. (laughs) Incompetent. I get, I get. So we are laying in bed one Saturday night Churches next morning. And I'm going, baby, you know what? We need $1,500 like within two days. And my amazing wife, I can't tell you how much I love her, she says, well, We just need to pray. I said, Oh, that's all. <laughs> just need to pray. That's all. So we pray. So thankful for my wife. She has talked me off more ledges than you can imagine. Come on, you guys. If you've been married long enough, you can say the same thing. So we prayed. Said, "Lord, you know what? We need fifteen hundred dollars. That's more money than I make in two months. But we need it within a couple days." Next day, we went to church. At the end of the service, we're around the altar, just worshiping praying, somebody comes up behind turn on the shoulder, say hey um, my wife and I just sold something and we just felt impressed with the Lord to give you this, And they gave us a check opened it up, $500 we're like oh, we just cried thank you God, you're so good not that Monday, but that Tuesday in the mail, another envelope, out of the blue, completely out of the blue Here's a, somebody says, I felt impressed with the Lord last Thursday to send you this check in the mail, $1,000. Dude, that was a pile of money for us, a pile of money. You, you, I'm telling you this story 35 years later. That marked me. That marked my life. That was Coin O'Nea from these brothers who heard from the Lord and said, look, have pity on this little knucklehead. He does not know what he's doing. Like, he's, he's a number five, but he's totally blown up. He can't, he's not capable. That marked me. I want to tell you something. It marks people for Jesus and for good when you coin the of them. They're never the same. I've seen people weep time and time again, like, cover their face and just cry I can't believe this we were just praying about this you you, you, you want to be God's hand extended in miracle ministry here you go it's called koinonia you want to mark people for the faithfulness of Jesus over their life here it is I can't afford it. I know. That's the point, isn't it? That's the point. If you were a multimillionaire, it wouldn't be a big deal. But Jesus said it's the widow who put in the might that gave more than all of them. Dude, I'm not trying to bankrupt you and get you where you can't pay your bill. You, you hear my heart. I'm talking about what the Bible calls koinonia. It's a sharing of life. It's not hanging out and watching a movie. It's a sharing of valuable things. The life of Jesus. The things that he's entrusted to us. That is koinonia. I love this with John the Baptist. Turn, turn to Luke real quick. Do you guys have a few more minutes? Do you have a few more minutes? Okay. Jad does. Luke chapter 3. This is what happens when God gets a hold of our heart. Luke chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Then we're going to move on in just a minute. I just couldn't pass this up. This is so good. I love it. Luke chapter 3, verse 10. John the Baptist. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? John was preaching a baptism of repentance. And if you want to go back to verse 9, Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the tree, so that every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. They're like, oh, no, I don't want to be that. How do you be a good tree? How does it look when your heart is really in control of the Lord? The crowds, what shall we do? Look at verse 11. And he would answer them and say to them, <clears throat> Excuse me. The man who has two tunics is to share it with him who has none. And he who has food is to do it Likewise. So what does he say to the crowds? What's the answer to you? What should we do to show that our repentance is real and God really has our heart? He goes, if, you're, if God really has your heart, your rivers turn the other direction. Now, if you have two tunics, you give one to him it doesn't. And if you have extra food, you give to somebody who doesn't have it. It's about your stuff. When God has our heart, our stuff is held out here like this for him to use however he wants to. <clears throat> Verse 12. Three groups of people here John the Baptist deals with. And to some tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what should we do? Verse 13, he said to them, Collect no more than what you've been ordered to. This guy only knows how to sing one note. What does real repentance look like, John? Don't steal from people. Don't be greedy. Don't overcharge them if you're a tax collector. Group number three, soldiers, verse 14. Some soldiers were questioning him. What about us? What should we do? Do you need to ask? He said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force, greedy, or accuse anyone falsely, probably to get a bribe, and be content with your wages. This is remarkable to me. All three groups here, they're asking him, John, what should we do to show that we've really repented and turned our hearts to God? Hold your stuff lightly. Get rid of it. Let it be out of your heart. Be content with what you have. Don't try to steal from anybody. Don't be greedy. It's all, is, that, is that not remarkable? You mean there's nothing else like stop beating your wife? I mean, no, it's all about your stuff. Because if God's got your stuff, he's got your heart. Come on, this is good. This is good. All right, let's talk about breaking bread in Acts 4. We can see the lights of the runway, so fear not. We're getting close. Breaking of bread. So let's talk about this. This is horizontal as well. We're talking about the atmosphere now, the four things, right? Breaking of bread. We saw that in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 as well. That was the third one, and the breaking of bread. What does that mean, breaking of bread? Here's the interesting thing in the book of Acts. So if you look down at verse 46, it says day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. So it seems like here that just means that they were eating meals together. But there's other places in the book of Acts where clearly it has reference to taking the Lord's Supper together. So which is it? It's the combination of both. They made their meals. Listen, listen. They're fellowship together when they're breaking a bread. The breaking of bread really is more like what we typically term fellowship. Koinonia is typically sacrificial love. But the breaking of bread is when they had their meals, they weren't just hanging out together, they were doing it in one mind with one focus on the person of Jesus and on his sacrifice. And they go, let's get together and have a barbecue And then let's take the Lord's Supper afterwards because he's amazing. He's the author of every good thing in our life. And let's just build our whole life around Jesus and his sacrifice so that when we get together and we hang out together, we're talking about Jesus. We're loving Jesus. We're celebrating his sacrifice. We're saying, Lord, you're so good. We wouldn't have anything without you. Every good thing in my life has come because you've given it to me. So everywhere we go and everything we do, we're just saying, Jesus, you're amazing. You're awesome. When we eat dinner, when we have a meal, when we have dessert, We go, let's have the Lord's Supper and just celebrate. Let's celebrate one more time what he did on the cross. Come on, let's just celebrate one more time what he did on the cross. Come on, can you do that just one more time what he did on the cross? Lord Jesus, you're amazing. Can you believe that in an atmosphere like this, God could come and do whatever he wanted? Can you believe that if we would together build community with these things in mind, that God could come and do whatever He wants. There's a family dynamic, no doubt, in the New Testament, but it's family that is Christ-centered. It's family that is focused on the person of Jesus and His sacrifice. And it's beautiful. So here at Heart of the Father, can I have... You need, you need a baby holder? Okay. Adam, come on up, bro. So let me just wrap this in just a... Our core values out there, can you guys name them by heart? There's only three. It's not that hard. Encountering Jesus. Come on, right? This feels like Maranatha class. Okay, come on. <laughs> Maturing disciples and impacting culture. Okay, do you believe if we have a culture that we're building like this, that those things would happen? We want to figure out how to best encounter Jesus. We want to encounter Jesus. We want to have the prophetic. We want to have all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We want to have God come in and move in mighty power and in healings. We want to see signs and wonders, do we? Are you with me? We want that. We want to be mature disciples, and we want to be trained to do the work of ministry. We're trying to figure out how to best do that. Would you pray into these things with us? Because as we do those things, even with the outreaches that we have, even our outreach at the abortion clinic, those things are beautiful and awesome. We want to increase and abound in the things that the Lord has given us to do, right? Let's have a community where we would be the inner sanctuary of God's presence, where His presence would have complete freedom. He could do whatever He wants. Whatever he wants to do. Will you, will you guys take the hunger that's in your heart, will you take that groan, and instead of medicating it with movies, would you just take it before the Lord and say, God, this hurts. Real hunger hurts, I can tell you. But Lord, hear the groan and cry of my heart. Make me everything you want me to be, and let me be a catalyst in the midst of the body to inspire passion to inspire hunger to inspire Jesus love the people in my life that have marked me with the love of Jesus and his preciousness I'll never forget them throughout all of eternity I'll thank the Lord for them that your greatest friends in your life are the ones who make you the most hungry sometimes the most miserable they're a gift let's build an atmosphere like that so I called Adam up here this morning because he had a he's a prophetic guy from top to bottom and um, he had a word and he texted me about it this morning and I felt like it would go really well uh, with what I was sharing. So I've asked him to share that this morning. We'll go from there.
1: This morning, the Lord, uh, when I woke up, he spoke to me about this house and he said, Adam, the house, heart of the Father understands, what it means that the kingdom suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. They understand what it is to war, what it is to cry out, what it is to pray, what it is to beat their chest and say, God, move, God, move, God, move. He said, but there has to come a revelation of what it means when he says, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom. And there are seasons that we war, and there are seasons that we receive, where we sit and we rest And we let God as a father step in. And so what he said to me, he said, Adam, this next season, what I'm trying to do at heart of the father is get them out of the way. Get them out of the posture of trying to fight and make something happen and strive and produce something in themselves and get to a place of humbling. Not because God's angry or he's trying to crush us, but because he wants us to see how immense he really is how good of a father he really is, how capable he really is, how little he really needs us, and how much we have to sit with our hands and say, Father, do it and help us. And I didn't know what what Barry was going to speak today, but what what I'm sensing is that there are some of you in this room that the reason you're struggling with this transition is because you're holding on and you're fighting. You're saying, if I get one more prayer through and if I do one more thing and if I get up front one more time, I'm going to make something shift. I want to encourage you by the word of the Lord. There are seasons in the kingdom that we war, but there are seasons in the kingdom where we sit and we call our Father in and we allow Him to do it. My son, when he wakes up in the middle of the night afraid, he doesn't go to war, he calls out for his dad. When my daughter can't open something to eat, she goes, Dad, can you get this for me? Sometimes the things in life are too big for us, and we keep striving, and we keep turning, we keep fighting. And what we really have to do is say, Abba, will you come and take care of this for me? Will you come, and will you do this? And what has to happen in this house? What he talked about those four things, when he talked about prayer and it being breathed on, that's saying, Father, will you do this for me? I don't know where you're at, I don't know what's going on I I know some of you, I don't know as many as I'd like But right now, I'm not saying come to the front I'm not saying come do one more thing Sit where you are And if there's something you're fighting If it's for a loved one If it's sickness in your body If it's financial Whatever it is that's keeping you From being able to step into trust I want you to take it and I want you to give it to him Now you might go, well Adam, this is somewhat childish Well yeah, he said become like a child So I want you to take a second. You don't have to, but if that's where you're at, I want you to close your eyes. Really simple. Close your eyes. And I want you to to hold that thing in your hand. Take it and clasp it with your hand. And then I just want you to let it go. And say, Father, I'm not going to fight for this anymore. I'm tagging you in because it's bigger than me. Like Barry said, I'm a number five. I I want to be competent. I want to be capable, but this is bigger than my hands can hold. And in that place of rest, let him be a good father. Let him be a protector. Let him be a provider. Let him be a healer. Let him be a banner. Sometimes we just got to get out of his way. Father, I just ask that you would step in. And by grace, help us to let go of control, to let go of what we think we have to do, and to just let you be God in our midst. In Jesus' name.